The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Well, for the second night in a row, it was looking like curtains. The Denver Nuggets trailed by 19 midway through the third quarter and went on a tremendous run to come back against the San Antonio Spurs and tie the series at one apiece. We did most of this game for the NBA cast, and I think the place to start has got to be with Jamal Murray's performance in the fourth quarter. One of the great turnarounds in NBA history was 0 for 8 going into the fourth quarter and shot eight for eight in that quarter scoring i think it ended up being 22 points in the quarter just an awesome performance by him really difficult attempts pretty much throughout that fourth quarter also i thought he played really good defense as well by helping off a Derek white we can talk a little bit more about that as we go forward as denver's defense clamped down in the second half but really i mean we were talking you and i about murray potentially not even getting back on the floor in the fourth quarter it's good to put a little bit of context on on how all this happened i mean the early part of the game all three of denver's starting perimeter players really struggled through three quarters jamal murray was zero for eight will barton was one for ten from the field including missing all six of his three pointers and then gary harris has struggled in the first half but then had a big third quarter so he had come on he was a part of the third quarter element of the comeback and, and a part of the fourth quarter as well but then it was jamal murray's time a lot of pull-up jump shots you know he so he, he made eight shots he was eight of nine because he shot a three at the end when it was pretty well settled that didn't go in but most of those were 20 feet and further he had one 12 foot mid-ranger one floater and then that really nice reverse layup that he had that was pretty early on as they were narrowing the lead and it felt like it was very abrupt regression to the mean because a lot of the shots that Jamal Murray got in the first three quarters were better looks more in his range more in his rhythm than what he was doing late in the game but he was incredibly hot Murray is one of that group of guys that when he gets hot he gets more confident and he can make those shots and some of them it wasn't necessarily that the Spurs were right on him there were a few cases like that but some of it was that the footwork was hard or the way he was moving from side to side those sorts of elements in certain cases rather than amazing defense forcing a ridiculous shot and it going in kind of like we, we've seen it in the, some shot making in the playoffs in other series yeah but he was hitting some floaters from the free throw line the one crazy one was that step back to his right with the clock running down and i think if you're watching denver games for the first time here and you, and you look at the efficiency that murray has had clearly in his career he needs to find a way to get the free throw line more than he has and that was a big problem for him in game one where he only had one but he's really the only guy on this team they go through all of those dribble handoff plays and sometimes that just doesn't lead anywhere they keep giving it 
back to Jokic. They try to go back door. He tries to dime guys up and they just don't get anywhere. Someone gets denied or they hand off. He can't turn the corner. And then it's up to Murray to be the guy one-on-one to make a play off the dribble. He has to take a lot of those shots for this team. And, And in this situation, they went in the one that was absolutely crazy was coming down the left wing on the three-on-one break just pulling up the three like not even on balance when he had just hit a couple in a row that was right after he hit that one that was the biggest shot of the game which was the fadeaway three over white with one on the shot clock to take the lead from three to six but that one took it from six to nine and the game was just over at that point it was not a good decision by the way (laughs) no i mean there was there was a lot of results over process and there there are players in the nba who can hit those types of shots i mean there are guys who make a living off of it and and murray can have that and and it it was really kind of coming full circle because in the early part denver only took four three-pointers in the first quarter of this game they got more in that rhythm they just weren't making shots i thought Jokic overall had had a a very good game offensively and then defensively it it depended on the moment there were some times that i thought he did a nice job and then other points where he was a little bit too far out in the floor and it led to some looks but Jokic was doing his job you know he was creating looks for teammates he was taking shots when he could get them and we were wondering you know the 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 question in this series was not really whether we thought denver could score and they just didn't they weren't getting it they had that stretch in the game one where they were missing all these shots they could have tied the game or given them the lead and then it all came back in that flurry and some of it was feedback loops you know defense feeling offense they got a little bit more in transition they got to the free throw line a little bit more and a big portion of it was guys like mostly Jabal Murray and but to a lesser extent Gary Harris in the third and then the fourth making shots that you would expect them to make oh and I should mention Malik Beasley had a couple he had a couple shots as well in the in the second half comeback yeah and I thought he was really important because they just Will Barton struggled so badly and they were just leaving him wide open he could not hit the spot up three-pointer and Beasley uh, that was his specialty this year he had a couple of big threes in that second half comeback for the Spurs I mean they did build that 19 point lead and a lot of that was the Nuggets not hitting shots that and then they really came on late actually finished at 42 percent from downtown 10 out of 24 the Spurs on the other hand had an uncharacteristic off night from three the best three-point shooting team in the NBA by percentage although the lowest volume team uh, so they struggled to five out of 18 DeMar DeRozan is interesting in the first game we thought hey you know he wasn't that good in the plus minus didn't have that great game he had 31 points on 11 and 19 nine of nine I thought the Nuggets made a lot of mental mistakes not staying down on his pump fake which that's a 40 percent shot that's 0.8 points per possession and when you follow him you're 1.6 points per possession if he's over an 80 percent three-point shooter um i thought that Jakob purtle gave the spurs some really nice minutes as they were breaking out to the lead he had four offensive rebounds was a big part of denver which is one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the league being held at 15 percent offensive rebounds that was a big reason why they were struggling as well but this is a spurs defense that is not that good ultimately they don't have that much talent i think they had a good plan in forcing denver to beat them from the outside they did not actually double team Jokic quite as much i think it was an interesting strategy they did on occasion but they had pretty much hard doubled Jokic whenever he got the ball in the post in game one he would throw it out and he did end up with a 14 assist but he would throw it out and guys were missing threes I think there were six out of 25 in game one they varied that up a little bit more and it seemed like that's something that Greg Popovich would do to just say okay you spent all of your practice time figuring how to deal with these doubles now I'm going to not double you uh but Jokic eventually was able to deal with that finishing with, with 21 points uh I thought Millsap was just unbelievable though he for 
most of his time in Denver, even towards the end of his career with the Hawks, his one-on-one post game really was not that effective. If you had a guy who was even like a combo forward who had some stoutness, you could usually take make him go for tough shots. He would try to just go to his left and barrel into you and try and shoot as there was contact and draw a foul, and that was his chief move. Not so today. He was turning and facing. He had the three just blow-bys of his defender, oftentimes Rudy Gay on the baseline. Then DeMar DeRozan tried to guard him on one post-up early in transition, which Millsap really likes to do when he runs the floor. And he jab-stepped him, got right into the lane, just broke DeRozan's ankles, hit a beautiful reverse for an and-one. And Millsap, he finished 7 out of 10, 20 points, even hit his only three, and was plus 25 on the night in a mere 30 minutes. Why he had a mere 30 minutes was looking like it was going to be a story of this game because his fourth foul was a terrible call like an absolutely abysmal one they Lamarcus Aldridge shot a fadeaway and they ruled that Millsap was in his landing area which doesn't make any sense not just a a fadeaway like a one foot fadeaway where he didn't even leave the ground and it was shortly after Millsap had picked up his third and so Malone pulls Millsap I mean the call was terrible but it happens so so Millsap's out of the game and then that's and, and San Antonio kept building the lead and we were talking on the NBA cast about how you are saving Millsap you know paralleling you know Budenholzer had some some issues with Al Horford going back in the Hawks series I was thinking about that thinking about a lot of different things uh, a head coach who's early in his playoff career who had a wonderful regular season and then the Nuggets started hitting shots they started playing better with Jokic and Plumlee as the combination and then Millsap was a huge part of the fourth quarter run he did finish the game with exactly four fouls so maybe they didn't need to be as concerned about the possibility of a fifth and then a sixth and would have I, I think he absolutely should have been on the floor. The yeah. Well, especially pos- consider the situation, too. Oh, yeah, because it looked the like their season was fading away. I mean, because if, if San Antonio goes up 2-0 and then is going back home where they are a, a great home team and they have all they have to do is win two out of five games, it was looking very, very good for them. And Millsap had made a huge difference. And there was a point, I think it was around the end of the first quarter, where Millsap had, I believe it was 11 points, it might have been 15, and no other nugget had more than two he had been the offensive engine they were he had some of that was on 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 post-ups that they couldn't really handle it and a lot of his teammates weren't hitting shots and so he kind of kept kept the minute when nobody else was really doing it and then later on he gets in this weird foul trouble but they did put it together and it was you know it it was a team effort I thought they defended well and I thought that that was something you brought up well on on the NBA cast but is a key swing factor in this game was Jamal Murray getting significantly more aggressive I I started keying in on it midway through the third quarter. It was probably a little bit before that on helping off of Derek White. Derek White had an effective night, seven of 11 from the field, but he only took two three-pointers in the game. Eight of those 11 shots were in the paint, either kind of floater range or at the basket, a couple of layups and dunks. And if he's not going to make it, this is going to be one of the stories, one of the key elements of these playoffs in various series is if you can help off of somebody and they can't make you pay, there are are so many ways that having an extra defender can gum up a team's offense. And Jamal Murray did that digging, he did that helping, forcing passes, and San Antonio didn't really exploit it. They, they didn't bear, it didn't end up bearing any fruit for San Antonio, and it bore a ton of fruit for Denver. The Spurs started out doing an, an adjustment to get Aldridge free that we talked about them potentially doing, which was more pick and pop. And we saw that Aldridge wasn't really able to get going against Nikola Jokic in the post. That was the case again tonight he was able to get to his right hand one time 
from the left block and uh then Jokic adjusted to execute the scouting report and force him to uh go over his right shoulder spin to the baseline instead but the pick and pop worked great because Jokic just isn't mobile enough to get back to Aldridge a few, few guys are frankly so a lot of handoffs a lot of side pick and rolls where there wasn't really anyone to rotate over to Aldridge and he was able to get some pretty good looks on those pick and pops so you remember going back to 2017 when I think he had 40 in that game one against Houston or no I think it was when what game am I thinking of oh maybe I'm thinking of game one against OKC three years ago but he he killed sorry I hate when people do that and they can't actually remember the reference that they're talking about but he has killed in the playoffs before in pick and pop and the Spurs know how to get him the ball there and so the adjustment that ended up being made I still thought they could have done more later in the second half of doing that side pick and pop stuff where it's harder to bring help over from the weak side but what Murray was doing with White on the floor White was on the opposite wing and every time Aldridge would pick and pop back to the top Murray would just come over and force an ego and Aldridge is not the greatest passer either he wasn't throwing it to White so White could actually shoot that shot necessarily they had another play where Bryn Forbes came off a screen and Murray went off of White who is the passer at the top to take away Forbes three-pointer which would have been wide open for the deadly three-point shooters they really were able to gum up a lot of actions there uh and Murray struggled defensively in the first few quarters but had a really nice defensive fourth quarter as a help defender and he does generally try to execute those sorts of things he's not as good at staying attached to his man but when his man is white and isn't as good of a shooter off the ball it doesn't matter as much uh Spurs were not able to force any turnovers in this game. I think that became a little bit of their undoing. Only five turnovers for the Nuggets and, you know, Danny Green, Kyle Anderson, Kawhi Leonard aren't on this team anymore the way they used to be. And the Spurs just don't have anyone who's going to make you feel uncomfortable if you're a guard of the Nuggets. And I think they're settling into the playoff pressure and they're able to make plays without having to worry about getting the ball stolen. And I think that's important as you're trying to settle in get into the playoffs here i'll exempt Derek white from that though he didn't have any steals in this game he is their best defensive guard but you look at the other players and they don't really make you feel them and you could the starting lineup Bryn forbes and demar Rosen, but then patty mills marco bellinelli mills actually i think this he had some moments defensively you know just getting into guys and yeah, he getting over screens, getting over screens but if he is he's your second best defensive guard it's a problem and san antonio wasn't able to get that resistance and that's kind of why it always felt like the dam was go- could break at some point you never say will with with the nuggets because they've had these offensive lulls even over the last few weeks they there have been some some weird situations like that and something else that i thought was important in this one mike malone went back to the well having Jokic and plumley on the floor when davis bertans was playing power forward but it didn't really kill them in this game i still think that it can in future games of this series but bertans one for four from the field just he didn't really have that much of an imprint on it he grabbed a couple of rebounds but the warning signs are still there i don't think anything really changed but it didn't kill them the way that it did in game one yeah the spurs also did not get anything out of their bench Uh, their bench got lit up pretty badly in this one they were out there as the nuggets began their comeback and got back into it late third early fourth Rudy Gay was negative 18. Bellinelli, negative 10. We saw that the Spurs bench is really what won them game one. And Bellinelli in particular, I thought, like, it just lacks any degree of physicality.
quality defensively like monte morris who's a six foot guard just like went right through him on a drive to the basket to score for example so i didn't like it as much what he brought gay struggled to two out of nine his scoring was missed quite a bit bertans was an exception to that he was negative one but he only got 16 minutes in this game they spent a lot of time with aldridge at the five gay at the four that was uh, their closing lineup DeRozan at the three white and either Forbes or mills uh, down the end and i thought DeRozan was really effective especially in pick and roll and in isos harris got the assignment on him a lot sometimes it was beasley barton none of those guys really have the size to deal with him and when the spurs actually they don't put a lot of units like this out on the floor but when the spurs actually spread the floor that gives him a lot of room to go to work and i think he can be efficient in this series if there's enough spacing around him but those aren't all of the spurs units and those units uh can struggle a lot defensively in this series another thing we talked about was the nuggets pathetic lack of fast break points in the first game they put up 21 fast break points in this game and had this was a much higher paced game overall right around 100 possessions so that was uh, important for the nuggets as well and the spurs only had six fast break points themselves so in the altitude they were able to well they're able to maybe it slowed down a little bit hold on let me double check that yeah it did actually slow down in the second half it was 50 possessions at halftime it ended up with uh 97 possessions so about average for today's nba but nevertheless the nuggets did get out in transition typified uh by that murray three-pointer at the end as he came down the left wing to ice it um any other thoughts on this one yeah a couple other things i want to talk about gary harris's night so he was huge in the third quarter such a rapid cutter and Jokic threw some just dimes. I mean, there was that one drop bounce pass that went, be- I think went behind Bryn Forbes' legs and-, and Harris just was shot out of a cannon, got to it. In the third quarter alone, Harris had 14 points, six of eight from the field, a couple of threes, some shots around the basket as well. I thought he did a good job. And also Harris's night was weird because there were two kind of injury things. So the first one was he came up a little gimpy. I think it was in the second quarter and I worried about whether he was going to look right. And he- the second quarter was a little bit weird. And then at the very end of the game, you and I caught it pretty quickly on on the show. He just like he went down like a sack of potatoes, and the refs didn't review that he. It, from what I can tell on the on the video that has since been captured, well, Marcus Aldridge just punches him in the groin. And yeah, it might have been more like the stomach area, but yeah, Harris <laughs> set a screen on him, and Aldridge just kind of chucked him. It looked it, like it might have been was... the lower stomach area. We we don't yeah. know for sure, but like that, it was it was a little bit weird that they that they didn't review it at the time. It was also a little bit weird that the Nuggets weren't fighting for them. I mean, usually when yeah. something like that happens, that team gets up in arms, and then that's what leads to them looking at something. And yeah, well, and Harris as a playoff rookie doesn't know that when something like that happens and someone cheap shot you that way you need to just like go down and stay down and like draw attention to it so they do look at it like he actually just kind of stayed and he's a tough guy and he stayed on his feet and tried to fight through it but you got to actually like fall down and draw attention to it when there's a play like that and i haven't seen any kind of a replay other than the main camera so we might feel differently about it if we got a, a different angle of it um but i think harris playing well really for the first time this season he's been their best player over the first two games i think um is huge and i love the way that he cuts you mentioned that he cuts like he's a football player running a pass route a lot of guys they kind of they jog through and if they see the guy isn't following them then maybe they'll cut a little bit harder but he's just like i'm gonna just start sprinting and i'm gonna get to the spot and i hope the 
ball is going to be waiting there for me and Jokic through as you mentioned just two unbelievable bounce passes to him on those cuts uh to either draw fouls or to uh get a layup and Harris also he's not only a three-point shooting but his shooting a couple of steps behind the line like one of the threes he hit was off of a double team and he was two feet behind the line and so he was able to get his shot up where if he was right at the line they probably would have been able to close him down so he he provides a huge element because they really don't have anyone else with any kind of volume from three who's going right now even Murray you know didn't start shooting the three until he got it going late it would have been a heavier point of discussion and it looked like this game was going to be closer than it turned out to be once the Nuggets made their comeback that the crowd was really going and Greg Popovich was trying to call a timeout they didn't they didn't I assume it was that they yeah, the referees did they're hear. up too I think this is after the Nuggets basically took like their first lead yeah I think it was after Murray hit a big remaining. three yeah 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 so they're up two. uh I don't think it was actually that late yet but they're up two, and yeah Pop just I mean that's gonna be a technical when you sprint out of the coaching box like that and DeRozan had actually already called the timeout at that point uh so and Pop had called a play beforehand coach Nick got this uh, uh and then he like really wanted the timeout and then he was really mad at the rest for not giving it to him but he had called the play earlier so it didn't look like he had called it earlier on I'm not sure if anyone asked him about that and I'm sure he was totally forthcoming about it if they if he was asked about it but I mean that was a terrible play I mean you're like what other NBA coach is going to like sprint down the floor and start berating the refs within you're down two you could go up two zero and end the series so uh I, I thought that was a problem and then Mike Malone they have an offense only possession at the end of the third quarter they've just taken out Nikola Jokic and put in Torrey Craig and Plumley, and they leave both Plumley and Craig in for the end of quarter possession offense only possession and it's not like you couldn't have just put Jokic back in for that one possession he just got out it's not like he was cold or something so that was really odd as well they ended up not scoring on that possession and you know maybe they would have but it was just it's one of those things that's, that's like coaching 101 to put your guys back in that you just took out your best offensive player one possession ago for the last possession of the quarter even if it's just as a decoy it's somebody that san antonio yeah. is going to pay attention to and i mean Jokic is a whole hell of a lot better than that he can he can make a pass he can even if he does maybe doesn't want to take a jump shot he could there are a lot of different things they could do malone faces a a challenging decision if will barton continues to struggle i fully expect given his experience with the team he's very popular in the locker room that barton will start game three but if he struggles again, even though their other options, most notably Malik Beasley, are imperfect, there could be a point where you just have to lean more heavily on them because Barton isn't helping. And he was the most egregious offender in terms of DeMar Rosen getting to the free throw line. He was biting on pump fakes that were not good shots. And uh, I've been pissed about that. People biting on Dwayne Wade pump fakes on bad shots for years. DeRozan is, is in a similar boat. You know, these like one foot inside the two point line He's going for like a kind of an, a leaning, a leaning to and just 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 take the win. And Barton was be- so when you're hurting your team on both ends of the floor and he doesn't really have the heft to to mess with DeRozan too much either. So it's kind of a wash there if he's not hitting jump shots, you know, with some of the other smaller options that they have. So Malone's going to have a tough choice there. The the front court seems pretty straightforward. I think he has that, even though I think Wancho, well, Wancho could get get a shot at the three as well. He, I, he'd they'll be a never wor- play him. They'll never play him, but I mean, I could still no, stump for it. Because- and, and also, it's worth noting, like, the Wancho that they had the first half of the year would be, like, their best small forward in this series right now. Mm-hmm. But he just hasn't been playing like that since he came right. down with whatever, like, groin issue it was, and then Barton came back, and he's been, been totally out of the rotation since then. Um, Malone's quote was, uh, when he was asked about maybe benching Murray he said I had to stay with Jamal make or miss because he's our guy 
and I care about him uh, unless of course he gets four fouls before the fourth quarter in which case I would not stay with him just kidding those I, I added that last part on uh but it worked out for Malone despite a, a couple of foibles what are you looking for as the series shifts to San Antonio now whether the Spurs can get into more of an offensive groove I think they could use Bertans more Rudy Gay just looked a little bit off I don't think it was particularly like great defense on Rudy Gay that was causing him to, to miss some of those twos so can those guys get into it I mean Bellinelli he's offense but he's a whole lot of negative on defense and we saw that throughout the game and then I fully expect Denver to go back to the approach that they had on Derek White I also fully expect Pop and the Spurs coaching staff to have some wrinkles in place and, and White is a confident driver so maybe it's just moving the ball to him more quickly getting him the opportunity to go downhill and whether he's creating free throws open looks for other people or things at the rim which would be awesome because he, he can finish those I expect San Antonio to, to make more of to make more positive opportunities off of those decisions the Spurs even though they struggled down the end and got out scored by almost 20 in the fourth quarter still put up 111 points per 100 possessions in this game and it ultimately was the Nuggets who after really struggling finished with a 118 offensive rating and, and put up a buck 14 after really struggling uh, throughout a lot of the first two games so I think this series is really going to be won or lost on Denver's offensive end of the floor I think the Spurs I don't think Denver can do a ton to stop them but I also don't think the way they're built that they're just gonna like completely detonate all over Denver they don't take quite enough threes for that to happen they don't get quite enough shots at the rim they are a good mid-range shooting team uh they do avoid turning the ball over which as you talked about a lot on the broadcast Aldridge DeRozan those guys never turn it over and so and Denver doesn't force turnovers really as a team either and so you're always gonna have a competent offensive performance when you're not turning the ball over to that degree and they have guys who are going to be able to get if not amazing shots decent shots and they've got when they do get open threes they usually hit them that was one exception for today but usually they're going to shoot it well from three on a low volume so i think san antonio's offense to me is going to be pretty consistent in this series i'd I'd expect them to be right around that type of 110 offensive rating for most of the series denver to me is much more variable their three-point shooting their offensive rebounding which the spurs have always been good at shutting down in the popovich era it's one of the, the best things about him as a coach they avoid putting teams on the foul line usually that's another hallmark of his coaching so i think it's really going to depend on denver you know are they gonna go with malik beasley now instead and if they've got harris if they feel like he can match up against derozan you can get away with beasley if they're playing derozan at the three you can get away with beasley instead of barton and you get more shooting on the floor beasley to me is better offensively than barton right now barton his one of his strengths is running pick and roll but denver doesn't do very much pick and roll anymore these days unless it's late in the clock and he's just not featured as much so they need someone who can make spot up shots and i didn't think barton as you mentioned was that great under rosen either so we may see more beasley in the upcoming game i thought the spurs had a ton of success with those side pick and roll pop plays to aldridge i'd expect that to continue as well maybe we'll see more double teaming again from the spurs and maybe they'll start double teaming Millsap a little bit as well you know he really killed them they and just not having good enough individual defenders was a major problem like Paul Millsap at this point in his career in his mid-30s like shouldn't just be blowing past you 
do every time on an iso uh but i'm not sure who they have who's gonna come out there and be able to do that i would like to see a little bit more bertans especially if gay doesn't have it going and that'll make life easier on aldridge and derozan as well i think actually you know bertans might he, he got called for a couple of rough fouls that probably shouldn't have been called frankly when he was guarding Millsap, but he might actually be their best option defensively on Millsap when they're going small with aldridge at center um i think that's about uh, all i have here they did do a little bit more stuff with Jokic, not so much with him handling the ball and and murray screening for him but at least having small guys set screens for him to try to get it in the lane and get open you know i don't think the spurs defended those plays poorly necessarily um and, and i think Jokic just needs to continue to be really aggressive it seemed like there was a point at which malone in the third quarter really challenged him to be more aggressive i like Jokic taking the three when he's open he was two out of three i thought he even could have taken a few more of those in this game and it doesn't look like the spurs really have anyone who can guard him in the post one-on-one so i think you know more plays with him getting down with deep position and then setting guys up and then we'll just see whether the nuggets can actually make their shot one other thing to look at for game three is in this game denver had 29 assists on 43 made baskets and a a number of their free throws would have you know were assisted as well in the original play and so if denver can create if if it's done through ball movement and the attention a lot of those looks to me are better than the self-created ones granted jamal murray hit a bunch of self-created ones in the fourth quarter to to bring this to bring the nuggets back from the brink but that will be a good calibrator for the kind of offense that denver's getting and i think generally it works best when they're moving the ball well as they were in the second half of this game actually they were throughout throughout most of it i mean they just started making the shot yeah now it has been like 30 minutes that we've been talking about this but i do want to try to recalibrate where we are on this series i mean it certainly was looking like the spurs were just going to destroy them the nuggets came back it did take incredible shot making from murray i mean probably three or four of those shots when we were looking at them were live were like oh that's not a good shot and he made all of them in that fourth quarter harris is playing well Jokic is playing well most i mean they did get good games from four other five starters although it seems so weird because murray didn't even get going until the end barton has been struggling the Spurs home court advantage is pretty good the Nuggets their first road playoff test you know, that'll be interesting for them I do think if I had to pick a favorite going forward here I would say the Spurs just because the Nuggets have been really inconsistent and I trust that Spurs offense to perform a little bit more and it's really going to wax and wane on some of the outside shooting for Denver which has largely been off the last couple months of the season here and it does seem like while they did end up scoring efficiently tonight I didn't really care for a lot of the looks that they were getting and it did seem like it was a big struggle for them offensively and that they just made shots whereas the Spurs I just feel better about their ability to just continue to score consistently but this it could go either way I mean I picked the Nuggets in five I think the Spurs have outperformed what would have been expected of them so far but both of these I mean remember that game one was very close as well the Nuggets easily could have won that one and been up 2-0 but both those games were in Denver as well Uh, all right before we move on to OKC in portland I want to tell you about team rubicon a, a charity that danny and i are both involved with danny actually introduced me to them you've been donating to them since 2012 in fact i have and team rubicon takes an amazing idea and executes it really well there are natural disasters all over the world it is a fact of life and almost every corner of the earth is touched by some form of, of natural disaster unfortunately some places can get multiple different natural disasters depending on the time of year and everything else and And what Team Rubicon is built around is this idea that military veterans come back with this amazing set of skills that can sometimes be hard to translate. And one of the areas where 
it makes great use of that skill set where the, you know you can different challenges every day and a lot of hard work that needs to happen and logistical planning communication all of those all of those disparate skills that most people don't have is in disaster relief and so what they do is they dispatch military veterans to the areas that need it most and since natural disasters can happen anywhere it's not a it's not a class thing it's not a a regional thing they affect everybody team rubicon can help people all over the planet they've done some amazing work various different disasters you can also check it out on their website and i just connected with their idea i you know i I just thought it was i thought it was brilliant and when i started reading up on them as an organization i was very impressed that they you know how they put the money back into it and and how it helped give these military veterans for for many of them help give them community help give them purpose and i wanted to to do the part of it that i could contribute and, and that was providing them money and providing them support and of course all donations that you make are tax deductible the way to learn more about them and hopefully uh, donate is at teamrubicon.org sorry no i misspoke teamrubiconusa.org slash capspace teamrubiconusa.org slash capspace you could also text the word capspace to 87872 to make a donation and support this great cause uh, the way danny and i are we we picked this out because we don't it's not political I, I think everyone can get behind both giving veterans a sense of purpose and also uh, helping people who are affected by natural disasters let's turn now to okc and portland it looked like okc was going to be in control of this game they led by 10 midway through the second and it seemed like it was playing out uh, the same way we thought paul george was playing really well he did not appear to be as bothered by the shoulder in this one was taking it to the rim a little bit more ended up 11 out of 22 of 7 from 3 but uh, was 7 of 12 at halftime and I think he only had one 3 at that point in time so he was looking really good they were stifling the Blazers uh, with their defense and um, we, we had talked about how it seemed like the Blazers despite winning game one did so on some absolutely crazy Dame Lillard shots that might not be sustainable and as it turned out Lillard shooting absolutely was sustainable he hit some bombs he was captured by the TNT camera saying bombs away after he drained a 35 footer on russell westbrook another time where russell westbrook was just chilling waiting for him to get down there and he just pulled it like how many of these does he have to hit before you realize he's got like unlimited range uh and then CJ McCollum was awesome. He wasn't that efficient in game one, but he finished as the leading scorer, 33 points, 12 of 22, three of seven from downtown. And uh, he was really beating Paul George pretty badly in pick and roll situations. I, I thought it was really one of those dominating CJ performances. And that's what the Blazers needed. And we didn't know whether that was going to happen with him both having had a down year and then coming off of uh, that political strain, which he suffered about a month ago. Overall in the game, Portland shot 13 to 32 from three and then they shot 43 percent on shots outside of the paint so we could call that jump shots i think that's a a, a fair determinant there lillard and mccollum doing a lot of the damage but you know there were a few other ones harkless hit a corner three when they were kind of looking back in it then myers leonard hit one late seth curry had i think two in the third quarter in that and the end of that that little push when they really were taking firm control of the game and as somebody who picked Oklahoma City in the series and I do not think this series is over I mean Portland no. has looked very good but both game one and game two 
I mean, gave me all of this trepidation. I mean, I was uncomfortable picking the Thunder because they they have this, I mean, Sam Presti has this ability and he's often done better with these players than I expected. But you see players in the rotation, you're just sitting there going like, oh God, that's right. This player or this combination of players are on this team. And Schroeder had some some better moments in the, in the very early going. Raymond Felton played way more important minutes in this game than I had expected. And just a lot of those kind of things you would see at Rarigat's head or their support players just bricking and bricking and bricking as you're saying they're going oh god why did i pick this team but then you know they did put together i mean you could go to that what it looked like they had control in the first half and with damon cj they do have i mean i'm so happy first of all for those guys that they can wash the taste out of their mouths after last year's embarrassment in the first round when they got just completely worked by the new orleans pelicans even these two games i don't expect this to be all that it is but even if it were then that's a a, a much better palate cleanser for this season and I I expect it to continue well beyond this and again though to me one of the big stories of this game I mean I talked about this you you and I recorded together in person after game one was I just thought Billy Donovan his strategy just seemed a little bit bizarre to me and in this one it was again you know like not forcing the ball out of out of Damon CJ's hands you know Lillard and McCollum each took almost as many shots just just a little bit short of this of the other three starters combined and if you could force those guys to take more shots even if they're better looks, it's going to be better than a Damian Lillard pull-up jump shot because he's incredible. Yeah, it does seem that way. They're they're kind of getting the worst of both worlds here where you're getting Steven Adams out on the floor on these pick and rolls, but then you're not really managing to force the ball uh, out of these guys' hands that, that well. I did think that the Blazers did a nice job of rotating the ball quickly out of those traps to the other playmaker when both those guys were on the floor at the same time. They also spent a fair amount of time with Seth Curry on the floor and he was three or four from downtown. Again, he hit some big threes late in the third quarter uh, as the Blazers got out to a, a 10 point lead which they never relinquished and ended up uh, with a 114 94 win uh, and we were in garbage time the last three or four minutes here which I, I was not expecting in this game at all uh so yeah it doesn't seem like and yeah the Blazers are shooting the three pretty well but hey that's Dame Lillard and CJ McCollum and Seth Curry taking 19 of their 32 three-point attempts and getting 10 of their 13 makes so yeah you, and Harkless only took two threes and immediately only took three threes and when we've seen the blazers fall apart whether it's against golden state the clippers when they really struggled before all those guys went down a couple of years ago new orleans they were putting it on guys like aminu and harkless to make plays and they couldn't do it and now there are some more options for the blazers at this point that makes it a little harder just to reduce it to that and harkless was really good he had 14 points he was finishing around the rim i thought he played pretty good defense on Paul George as well in the second half as George did have five turnovers and got his pocket pick twice uh, that was a big problem too is that uh, OKC uh, George and Westbrook combined for 11 turnovers and some of them some pretty big head scratchers but you know I, I don't think yeah, like Lillard has been awesome and CJ was awesome and, and the Blazers are certainly capable of having this kind of a night but you know this kind of seems like it's been like a regular season team and a regular season strategy uh, and you thought that the Blazers would really feel the thunder physically more than they have with this athleticism advantage that OKC possesses. Related to that, I thought this was a rough game from Russell Westbrook. He was <sighs> one of nine on jump shots. He had those six turnovers, and I thought it was a, a 
useful depiction of, you know, like if you want to look at the box, other than the 5 of 20 from the field, which was disastrous. I mean, yeah, 4 he was, of 10 at the rim, by the way, yeah. and uh, did not get any free throws on his drives. He had one and one, but to take 10 shots at the rim and not get any free throws is, is not great. It's really troubling. And Stephen Adams, you know, there there were some really nice passes. Russell Westbrook is a capable passer, but he took some just, just truly dreadful ones. And then I've been, you know, this been this ongoing thing about Russell Westbrook's defense. And not only, yeah, I mean, there was another another couple of those plays where he should have been closer on Dame and wasn't, but also Westbrook, when he had a, when he was more in a help capacity, he has this penchant for just wandering away from his guy, but not to do anything. So let's say there's a drive into the lane. He'll just go closer to the ball, but not to contest the shot, not to get in the passing lane. He just gets closer. And then like, that was the, the Mo Harkless three. I think it was Dame might've been CJ just passed right out. It was an easy pass right to the corner. Harkless isn't going to make all of those, but whenever you are off your guy, I mean, we, we, this was something that came up with Jamal Murray off of Derek White in the first game we talked about. There needs to be a purpose behind it. If all you're doing is leaving your guy open and you're not preventing them from getting the ball and that you're, you're not, you're not creating any value. And Westbrook, when he's off ball, he can be very inattentive, just like a lot of his Thunder teammates can be. And I thought that was something that reared its head in this game as well as game one. A couple other notes here, and I agree with you on there. He also gave up a key offensive rebound as the Blazers were pulling away where he just didn't box out Mo Harkless, who was guarding at the time. Dame, I thought, was really good on Westbrook. There was a sequence where Westbrook tried to post him up. Dame ripped his dribble. Later in the third quarter, Westbrook tried to post him up, got stripped, retreated to the three-point line, took a three. Dame was celebrating as he took the three because uh, Russell Westbrook is not a good three-point shooter. And then right after that, Westbrook apparently exhausted by his efforts. That was when Dame hit that three. I would say right in his face, but Westbrook was so far away, he was just standing there. Uh, and yeah, Westbrook hasn't been able to attack in the post, really. Uh, they've One of him or CJ was going to have to guard Westbrook, and that seemed like it could potentially be a mismatch. And at times in game one, it was. But the Thunder only getting 11 fast break points, that was supposed to be a big advantage for them in this series with the Blazers when the slower pace teams the Blazers actually 19 fast break points in this game so that's if the Thunder are losing that part of the battle they're not going to look good and a big part of that was the the turnovers as well and then we just have to talk more about this 5 of 28 three-point shooting after 5 of 33 the other night I mean they are under 20 percent for the series and people are like oh Donovan is getting out coached and yeah I mean I, I'd be hard-pressed to point to like what some big innovations that OKC has had in this series but something's got to go on sam presti at this point i mean he just consistently for the entire time that he has built this team they just haven't had consistent shooters with any hope of playing on the other end i mean since they lost kevin martin in free agency after the 2013 season they haven't had enough shooting he just doesn't seem to believe in it they came into this offseason granted they had some limited resources they're paying this astronomical tax bill etc they've they traded for another guy shooter who's an iffy outside shooter and and in theory a playmaker and he uh you know was negative 16 in this game I, mean, I thought he looked a little better but he can't guard dame you know that's another problem like dame could just blow by him in an iso whenever he wants to and you know one of westbrook or Schroeder is probably going to be guarding dame most of the time because they're putting george on cj maybe they try ferguson there and they hide westbrook off the ball and like harkless or something at times but you know dame was doing well on him too so they came into the season without any reliable three-point shooters other than paul george in their rotation a couple people i tweeted that and some people said abrinas well donovan has never trusted abrinas and as it turned out abrinas for you know due to some personal reasons or whatever hasn't been a part of this team at all this year and but he was never going to be a part of their playoff rotation at least if billy donovan had anything to say about it and so 
they just well, don't have. I want to I want to add, add in there too. I I think and there were also people who brought up Jeremy Grant. Jeremy Grant is is instructive here because Jeremy Grant hit thirty nine percent of his threes, but he doesn't take many of them, and he does not instill fear. In this game, he was zero for five from three. That's probably more of an aberration. But what sometimes what you want is for that guy to be able to hit the shot. I mean, that's the ideal. Is you know they they're open, you get up past them the ball and they hit it. But there is another group of player where they actually just instill fear and you don't leave them. And the Thunder do not have those players either. And so that makes life a lot harder. Yeah, there might be some nights where Jeremy Grant hits an open three or two, but if a team's defense is built around congesting everything else and then seeing what Jeremy Grant could do, I think they've made a good decision. And I mean, some of the guys, you know, so OKC this year, in terms of three pointers per hundred possessions, so that's that. I mean, obviously that's more than, more than most guys play in a game. The only two guys who shot more than eight three pointers per hundred possessions are Paul George and Alex Abrinas. I guess TLC was slightly over that. Abrinas isn't on the team anymore. TLC's not on the team anymore. And then, of course, Paul George. And then the group that's right below them at like seven per hundred possessions, Patterson's not in the rotation. Russell Westbrook shot 29% on threes this year. Schroeder and Morris. Morris was only on the team for the late part of the year. He's a little bit inconsistent. And then Schroeder is kind of, to me, he's in the Jeremy Grant mold where he can make them and he does sometimes take them, but opponents, defensive teams are willing to sacrifice those to shut down everything else. It's definitely a concern. And not only is it just that those are empty possessions when you shoot a three and they don't go in, but obviously now off of those guys, you can muck up spacing for everything else. And moreover, though, like 94 points per 100 possessions against this Blazers team. I mean, that's just pathetic. Like this is an average defense, better when Nurkic was on the floor, but but their centers are Ennis Cantor, Myers Leonard, and Zach Collins. Like, uh, Collins has some defensive potential, but he hasn't been good uh, most of the season. He did have three blocks tonight. Uh, Leonard has been a defensive sieve his entire career, and Cantor has a reputation of being the worst center in the NBA defensively. And yeah, Terry Stotts uh, does a good job of playing the math and, and teaching guys to protect the basket. But, I mean, look at this this personnel. You've got undersized guards, Lillard and McCollum. Both those guys have gotten better, but I don't think anyone's calling them a player plus at their positions you know Aminu and Harkless are solid guys but they don't play a lot you know you're they're going playing units with Seth Curry at the three Evan Turner only played 12 minutes I thought that was actually good Rodney Hood got 26 minutes he's a, another guy they're playing him at the three who's uh just been a really bad like one of the worst defensive shooting guards during his career and yeah Seth deserves credit for getting these guys to defend as well as they have but this is a total organizational failure to be putting up these type of numbers now uh and I, I should say also Myers Leonard I thought had a really nice game i think his pick and pop ability he did he did hit one three but i thought his pick and pop ability really causes problems for the way okc defends because if they're gonna put have their center put pressure on the alert he's gonna just be able to pop for a three and he did shoot 40 percent from three it's the second time in his career he's been 40 percent from three so he can at least do that and you know he did enough defensively um all that said as bad as okc has been in these first two games i still think this series is going seven they should play a lot better at home their their defense should tighten up and not like Portland is they're going to be shrinking violets but if OKC just steps up their game a lot we, it's been a, a talking point for years about how role players generally play better they often shoot better and they can't really shoot worse 
So OKC has that going for him. Also, we should mention the, in the three-point shooting, Terrence Ferguson had an effective year, but again, he's not he's a low-usage guy. He was at 37% this year, but he just doesn't take that many. And so, and, and he's probably their, what, like their second or third best shooter? So that's a problem. Yeah, he was one of five from downtown tonight as well. He did take a, a couple more aggressive attempts. Mm-hmm. High foul game, 27 personal fouls for both teams. KP made the note that at some point, players are going to have to adjust to how it's being called. And I would like to actually applaud the league office and Monty McCutcheon a lot of people doubted when Monty was saying yeah we're going to continue these points of education on holding and excessive contact in the playoffs and like oh yeah right you know when it gets intense and down the end of games like they aren't going to call these and no they have I mean and hopefully the players will adjust and we won't see as many fouls that need to be called but I think players have gotten more intense and physical and the referees expecting the referees to not call as much but they have been and I think keeping it the same it'll ultimately lead to better looking basketball so i hope that it continues but i also hope that players kind of figure it out um let's see adjustment wise and it's canter did injure his right hand and got it x-rayed at halftime only played 20 minutes in this one he was in foul trouble but uh didn't really come back in after picking up his fourth foul he had a couple of charges in this game uh i think he actually injured his hand when paul george took a charge fixed the charge um for the thunder i think they probably need to just get more aggressive getting the ball out of dame's hands early in the possession and really pressuring because what they're doing right now is you know they're the idea is to not let him turn the corner but they're not also really like putting pressure on him and like making him give the ball up and dane deserves credit for the way he's handled that strategy a little more but it's not been as intense as new orleans was a year ago but uh, okc doesn't really have the on-ball defenders like drew holiday that new orleans had a, a year ago either but i would like to see more pressure i think especially in front of the home crowd in particular that that'll be useful uh i'm not really sure what else okc has in the bag this is another one of those teams where there aren't really that many guys you can play your lack of shooting a lot of the stuff that you would like to run is going to get gummed up george still is not shooting it from three quite as well like that can space the floor a little bit more the blazers aren't playing guys that have as many weaknesses like turner is only getting 12 minutes uh, for example i do think for example when you've got seth curry on the floor they got to find a way to attack him with either george or westbrook but then still you know you get seth curry on you but now you got no spacing behind you that that's not a panacea either um i have one yeah yeah sir an old danny larue chestnut but okc should try running after makes more often just create try to create westbrook downhill opportunities out of thin air if, if they're not gonna do it by getting stops just try to make it happen and portland is very good at getting back i mean they're i think they were yeah they were sixth in the league this year in terms of opponent half court frequency sixth in in the good way and there will be some opportunities though maybe I, I, you get some of the blazers into foul trouble numerous elements like that and, and maybe that means playing russ fewer minutes if you're going to give him higher intensity but that could help and getting uh, you're never going to get all of the the bad rust parts of his game out but the idea of okay i can get to the basket more often or whenever i want maybe that can yeah. lead him although i'm some... not sure he can do that he may not he just yeah may but not if you can con- if you can convince him ago. that it's true that and he could just take a few uh, just I, shift i don't think russell westbrook needs any convincing of his own abilities well he, he needs convincing he needs convincing that he's better at layups even though he was four of ten than he is on jump shots <laughs> yeah maybe that is it but it's uh this personnel is pretty limited offensively and i think you know really other than transition and i, I mean they'll hit a few more threes when I mean, they're not going to shoot 20 percent for the series at least i sure hope not 
shot so maybe just hitting a normal number of threes you're kind of overthinking it if they they can do that but you know good three-point shooting teams don't have these type of nights on back-to-back nights so it's certainly it's not a shock for me to see them struggling for three-point range to be sure but i i do think that they're going to defend better i think their athleticism and intensity will play better at home and uh, we'll see i mean they got to win both of these games at home to have a shot in this series if they're down 3-1 going back to portland we're probably done so i think okc is fully capable of doing that they are actually favored by seven and i think that seems a reasonable line to me um and how about you also just like guard damian lillard out there too you know i mean it's, it's easier said than done but and you almost got to start treating him like steph curry the only problem with that is like dame lillard has blow by speed which steph curry does not and so you get that far out on him he can just blow by you and put pressure on you and, and set up other guys i mean he's been awesome he's been by far the best player in the series we said after game one if dame lillard is the best player in the series portland is going to win it very likely and uh he certainly was that and cj mccollum was the second best player on the floor tonight or vi- vice versa so with that being the case okc is not going to win many games and so we'll see whether they can put enough pressure on those guys athletically at home don't need to spend as much time on toronto and orlando 111 82 raptors they controlled it from the outset led 26 to 18 after one i think they scored the first nine points of the game Kawhi leonard absolutely unstoppable 37 points 15 of 22 from the field four of eight from downtown he did it without really relying on the free throw line at all he was also plus 37 in the game in 33 minutes and well the, the raptors did have a very efficient offensive night so this is a slow game the raptors put up a uh, 120 points per 100 possessions even with extended garbage time at the end as uh toronto had 90 points through three quarters in that slow game the magic just were not able to get good looks in this game it just wasn't going to happen for them and the three-point shooting came back to earth in a big way nine out of 34 from downtown and they did shoot better on twos they were all the way up to 45 percent, but that's still pretty bad 45 percent true shooting and i expect their inability to score to continue orlando's defense has been a revelation overall this year but i thought one of the key factors in this game was their one of their just deficiencies and this has been true of steve clifford teams in the past they don't force a lot of turnovers and toronto only turned the ball over seven times and only four of those seven were from their starting five and so it, that makes it harder for orlando to get transition opportunities they only scored nine points off of turnovers whereas toronto scored 26 and that's another area where you know orlando they're gonna have trouble scoring in the series can do that and and so they can make shots hard i thought that you know there were moments in this game when Kawhi Leonard was just taking ridiculous shots and making ridiculous shots but it's an advantage that it would be great if they could generate them against Toronto and they're not going to do that's not really in their DNA they don't have great turnover guys they have better shot blockers than they have steals players and something else that I think is a very important takeaway for this game something that we we that came up in the Paul Millsap stuff with Mike Malone Kawhi Leonard spent a lot of this game in foul trouble the first half he basically spent the entire first half in foul trouble and Nick yeah. Nurse still kept him in there he played well he managed through the foul trouble there was a time that it looked like he was going to get a fourth foul in the second quarter instead that foul went to Danny Green who then got into a little bit of foul trouble of his own but that helped them seal this victory far earlier because Kawhi was fantastic the other thing it's looking like that Mark Gasol trade is already paying off in a big way he has completely shut down Nikola Vucevic who is now six out of 21 in the series he only had six points tonight in 25 minutes DJ Augustin who is the hero in game one struggled to one out of six here Aaron Gordon was really the only guy who had it going another big problem was John Isaac 0 of 6 from three-point range and they were putting
putting Cal Lowry on him you know the, the reps are very versatile so Lowry also spent a lot of time on Fournier as well but whoever was guarding John Isaac whether that was Leonard whether it was Lowry whether it was Siakam was just not guarding him at all Isaac couldn't hit the six three-pointers when he was open and then so many other actions all those Augustin Vucevic pick and rolls got totally gummed up all that handoff stuff got gummed up they also added a nice wrinkle when they ran the set plays for the wide pin down out of the left corner from Fournier with Vucevic where if the Raptors heard the play call or knew it was coming just for that possession they would have Siakam guard Fournier instead so if they needed to switch it they could have Siakam guarding Vucevic in the post instead of getting Lowry stuck there that was really a nice I'm sure they talked about that as a coaching staff and good job getting them to execute it as well the Vooch pick and pop really was not there that's something that they could have gone to more but again you had guys stunting over Lowry is awesome at that it just materialized he took a couple of charges in this game too you know Vooch was just really made uncomfortable he has no chance in the post against Gasol whatsoever Uh, Gasol did get in foul trouble early and we thought maybe Vooch could get it going against Ibaka but they didn't go to him that much either something I wanted to bring up was the you brought you mentioned the versatility of Toronto's defense we saw the uh, a, a huge benefit of that when Kawhi got in early foul trouble because they were able to capably put Siakam on Aaron Gordon and then Kawhi had the assignment the base assignment on John Isaac not really going to get Kawhi in further foul trouble there I and mean, he still could have gotten an offensive call he was, his I think it was his second foul was on a bad screen but it made life easier on Kawhi was allowed and when he's so what he was so dominant offensively to stay on the floor also having John Isaac for from Orlando's perspective that makes that easier but having Siakam with the capacity to guard basically anybody on the floor it it's the great it's the kind of like the WD-40 that makes a lot of these things work so smoothly and Danny Green only took four shots he he didn't take any shots at all until I think it was the second quarter but he still provided a lot of value defensively and they had plenty of other guys to score and after all the hand-wringing and concern Kyle Lowry eight for 13 from the field two for four from three 22 points seven assists two turnovers and a series of nice defensive plays yeah we mentioned what he did as a helper but to be able to hit some three-pointers was really important for him they ran a couple of shooting sets to get him open early and he's really important for this team as a shooter because they don't have a ton of knockdown guys Leonard he's not gonna be off the ball as much but Siakam you know he'll shoot it kind of when he's open but you're not thinking oh I can't leave him Danny Green that's part of why he's been so important to this team is because he is that one knockdown guy as a 45 percent three-point shooter this year but Leonard's gonna have the ball in his hands he's not gonna be spacing out as much and so if you can get that second guy with Lowry and Green and then Gasol is capable of pick and pop he had a couple of threes as well today uh anytime they got the ball to Gasol at the elbows it seemed like good things happened in the secondary break or or any kind of play where they're screening his his passing was outstanding they also were able to finally get a little spread pick and roll going at Fucevic and and he struggled to to deal with that there was way less of the Siakam iso dribble around spin eight times and shoot a tough shot he ended up with 19 points on 16 shots played 36 minutes he plays a lot of minutes for this team but it wasn't he took 24 shots in game one and he was really just dominating the ball a lot we didn't see that as much and then Leonard I mean he was six for six on twos outside the restricted area in this game it just awesome shooting he is a wonderful shooter that he's made him into four of eight from three also eight shots at the rim I mean that is just a, an awesome stat.
stat line and we thought that Aaron Gordon was a good matchup on him and he just punished whoever was on him with that shooting ability and strength so as we go into game three not a ton of reason here to change what I thought overall of this series obviously Toronto was a massive favorite with that principle that teams with home court advantage that lose game one win 79% of the time but we'll see maybe the Magic can steal one at home with the home crowd behind them they should be jazzed up at least to have won one I'm glad that the fans in Orlando are at least going to get to see some playoff basketball but I I just don't see what the answer is I mean they could shoot better than nine and 34 on three and they're just going to have to I mean if if they can get close to you know get over 40 percent from three maybe they can compete in this series they tried a bunch of stuff like having small guys screen for Vucevic to get him open in the post or pick and rolls that just didn't work Gasol was all over the place he was just fantastic so uh, I don't know where they're going to go next I mean maybe more pick and pop for three with Vucevic but it seems like now the Raptors are pretty locked in on what it is that the Magic are are doing and you know maybe they'll have an inexplicable lapse and maybe Lowry will have zero points again you never know with him in the playoffs but if the Raptors play anywhere close to their capabilities I I don't see much hope for the Magic in this one Um, and I think like some of these other teams I don't see a lot that they can do adjustment wise I mean maybe you try to just separate Vooch's minutes from Gasol a little bit more you know take him out early put him back in late first early second play him in three stints and maybe even go with Augustin to play him the same way because really Vooch kind of has to be matched up with Augustin because they need someone who's like a good pick and roll operator that's not really Michael Carter Williams even though he's had a little bit of a career renaissance uh Terrence Ross they really need his scoring but he's a defensive liability if he's got a guard either Siakam or Leonard he gets caught in that matchup and it's if you're going to play Ross and Fournier together to get more shooting on the floor then you got to take Isaac off the floor and now you can't stop them so yeah it's uh and then Isaac can't hit a shot so he's gumming up their offense you're really running into a lot of problems here and they're going to need some guys to play way above their capabilities as they did in game one and more importantly they're going to need to just stop the Raptors and when you have to be over your head on both offense and defense every game to even be competitive it's going to be tough right and Toronto had a 121 offensive rating in this game they don't need to be that efficient on offense to win that gave them the margin where this game was a walk but if they're and so as you said it's a huge margin right now or if Orlando they'll they'll have games another game they were at 89 offensive rating you know they'll have games under a point per possession further in this series and Toronto has enough pieces offensively especially if Kawhi Leonard is going to get to that kind of a level so even if I I expect there to be closer games in this series I think Orlando is going to have some decent performances but they need the combination of doing really well and generally Toronto playing below their below their expectations in order to to win games in this series so my expectation is this ends up being five it could very well be six but that's that's kind of where where this is going at least to me Lowry by the way six of eight at the rim yeah uh, yeah and in game one Lowry took seven shots and six of them were threes and I I appreciated his desire to attack the basket they got out in transition a little bit more too which helped but we haven't seen him finish around the rim this way but if it's Vucevic they don't have great shot shot blocking Gordon and, and Isaac can do a little bit more there but I appreciated the aggressiveness that Lowry had on both ends and I think while he did shoot hit the threes early he only took four three-point attempts uh, him getting to the basket uh, I thought was really key for what uh, Toronto was doing all right anything to talk about before we go here my off-season preview of the Memphis Grizzlies should be out at the athletic at some point on Wednesday I talked about the unusual part of their pick protection the turnover in the front office which led to me having to rewrite part of it over the last couple days but a, a series of challenges for that team in terms of how they conceive of it what their timeline is 
is, how they evaluate Jaron Jackson's position, all that kind of stuff. So I really liked going through the options that they have on the table and I'll have more stuff coming out over the next little while. Yeah, don't forget NBA cast tomorrow, Utah, Houston. We'll be doing that one game too. And then on Thursday as well. And then also if you're in the Bay Area, looking like I'm actually going to be on like TV, ABC7 after the game on Pacers Celtics on Friday. This is just local, the local ABC affiliate. And then on Sunday after the Warriors game as well. So actually like I've really made it big time to, to be on like real broadcast TV. My mom will finally respect what I'm doing now. <laughs> just kidding. She does. All right. Uh, we'll talk to you all tomorrow night. Till then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.